What's up, Gumbo listeners? Demetrius Malbro here with another data protection gumbo episode. And this episode is titled Software as a Service or SaaS 2021 brave new world of cloud backup and to drop some valuable knowledge for us today i have joe ferguson cloud sales engineer at clunio on and he spent the last 20 years designing storage and backup architectures both on the customer and vendor side and some of his past work experience includes united airlines sun microsystems data domain emc and pure storage So Gumbo listeners, Joe will be providing some data hygiene tips for 2021 and also why SaaS is a great first move for organizations going to the cloud and so much more when we get back from thanking our sponsors. You'll never be immune to cyber attacks, but you can bring your A game. With the secret secure backup technology, you become too tough and costly to crack, compelling threat actors to move on to easier prey. Gain the advantage today. Visit Asegra.com for your low cost, easy to use and hard to hack backups. Joe, it is a privilege and welcome to the gumbo. How are you? I'm doing really well, Demetrius. Thanks for having me on today. All right. Well, let's go ahead and move right into the show here. Uh, The first question, let's start off a little light. Uh, Let's start off, I guess, by talking about data protection hygiene and why do you think companies forget best practices and sometimes develop bad data protection habits when, let's say, they move to the public cloud? Yeah, it's a good question. I think one of the things that we've seen, if, if you think about how cloud adoption was born and really grew, a lot of it came from these compartmentalized use cases. You know, a lot of development teams, you know, gaining quicker access to resources to develop projects. Um, and they, they kind of tended to happen away from the mainstream of, of centralized control and, and oversight within organizations. And, and to some degree, there wasn't a ton of need there as well around data protection based on the use cases. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously it started to grow into much more than that. And people started to production, uh, you know, to, to bring production resources into the public cloud as well. I think there's this perception or maybe a misperception around cloud based on the level of redundancy and availability that's out there and sort of mixing it in with this idea around that the data is protected. And so you have a lot of people who are users of the cloud, but aren't necessarily coming from a background where they're designing architectures and security and, and things around that nature. And, and their, their view is very focused on just their own needs. And so as it started to grow, right, and, and inside of that, there was also this sense of, of kind of a lack of options. Nothing up, up until recently, there hasn't been very good quality presentations of backup and recovery architectures for public cloud. And, and it, it offers snapshot capabilities, which were easy, uh, you know, to gain access to historical point in time for your data. But I think it missed sort of the overarching view of of all the things that can happen and kind of putting it into a larger context than just the immediate use case for that user. And so as it's shifted into more of an organizational strategy, now we're seeing more focus on, okay, what are my options for doing data backup and recovery? And so now it takes a kind of a different um, perspective 
where we come more into around, you know, general lack of, of not necessarily just the lack of capabilities, but I think the lack of optimized capabilities. Um, we, we've seen a lot of on-prem backup and recovery solutions port into the cloud mm, okay. in the same manner that they were being designed and used in an on-prem data center world. And the, the fundamental way of looking at those is, is different because the resource consumption, you know, there's a different cost profile, et cetera. Um, and so, you know, this reliance on snapshots uh, sort of set the bar originally, and people have tended to somewhat just adopt that as the default strategy. Um, and it's created some really interesting questions at this point about what is really the, the best way to do this moving forward, because I think in some ways it's kind of a brave new world. Um, and and it's, it's growing organically into a fully vetted architecture top to bottom. And backup and recovery is sort of tailing everything else inside of that. So I think that, that the focus is now really starting to shift as you know, mainstream adoption is, is growing and more critical data is being put into the cloud. Challenges around longer-term compliance are, 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 are forcing people to look at it in a different way because, you know, the snapshot methodology definitely has its use cases the same way it did on-prem, but it only extends itself so far into a backup and recovery model. There are certainly instances that snapshots do not provide right, the right level of protection for. And so people, I think, now are trying to balance best practices around cost. And from what I've seen so far, right, if you, if you approach data protection in a public cloud space in the same manner that you did on-prem, you usually end up with a, a, a fairly prohibitive cost model. Um, which then causes people to rethink it again and, and, and maybe trend back into how do we make snapshots work for us, right? And, and, and they're sort of, they're, they're letting go of, of the end goal to some degree in order to try to more quickly solve a problem that doesn't present a solution very easily. And so I think that world is shifting some. Now, yeah, are, are you for or, or against snapshots? I'm, I'm not sure what I'm hearing. Is it is it that you're for snapshots or, or you're not? Well, I think snapshots definitely have their place, right? They, and I okay. think they're, they're based around operational recovery to some degree, but they don't provide any sort of air gap security. Mm -hmm. They don't really provide any sort of indexing and cataloging. And so you get these point in times that you can restore from, but okay. what we've seen, right, especially in a centralized backup and recovery uh, sort of management scheme is that you know, you need to be able to access data quickly. You need to be able to search for it, but ultimately you also need to have that kind of gold copy that sits there um, in the event of, of any kind of disasters, right? Whether it's a logical disaster around corruption or ransomware, or whether it's physical destruction around actual resources being gone. Okay. So, yeah, I, I get it. I get it. There, there's always a debate around, you know, snapshots versus some of the other, you know, methodologies that are out there. there there's quite a few, um, you know, granular backups, point in time backups, replication. There's, there's so many different ways that you can actually skin the cat and just 
kind of moving forward with that, I, I also talk to tons and tons of backup and storage admins nowadays. And I'm quickly realizing that this digital world that we're living in, which has definitely gone quantum in the last few months with the acceleration of COVID-19 and also everyone being forced to to go virtual in, in a sense. And as more and more data is being created, uh, there's also more challenges that are also being crea- uh, created and more challenges that we have to you know, protect that data um, that's being created, basically in a multi-cloud world that we're living in. So my question for you, Joe, is what are some of the challenges that you're seeing over at Clumio as far as the customers that you're working with? And how would you approach you know, solving some of those challenges? Yeah, so I think one of the things that I see creating one of the biggest challenges is really this idea of data locality. And as it gets more dispersed and you start dispersing infrastructure to support it, you have all these different endpoints that are addressing the needs of that particular arena, whether it's public cloud or coming back onto private cloud or something in a SaaS application, but they're all fundamentally different endpoints. And so if you're approaching it with a strategy of multiple endpoints, it's really hard to not only just bring it back into some sort of centralized view, but the management of it as well. Um, and if you're if you're care and feeding for these infrastructures, you now have you know four, three, four, or five different environments that you're trying to operate ultimately. And so and, and and you think about all the things that come with operational burdens, right? It's the patching, it's the upgrading, it's the tuning, it's the optimizing, it's the troubleshooting, right? And so you put that out there in all these different environments that are fundamentally different, and you have less access to underlying resources to attack, you know, to look into certain problems. So one of the things that I think is going to be a necessary component going forward is the ability to create a centralized architecture um, and really have much more this idea of a, of a hub and spoke where, where you've got a, a single sort of intelligence engine running the whole thing and that it can disperse out into these different endpoints from the centralized location. And so it, it just creates a lot of a lot more simplicity. And so but the you know the challenge around solving that is how do you take these totally disparate environments, and be able to bring them into just one arena successfully. Um, and at the same time, you know, you you want to try to lessen the amount of management overhead that occurs there. Um, certainly, I think with the with the idea that we're more virtual, you know, the the access to data centers and and the you know the idea that hardware is driving the solution, and so you've got the challenges with that associated. So I think the more we can pull away from fixed architectures uh, that have to be installed and deployed and, and, and care and fed for, and the more that you can create, I think, somewhat of just a centralized engine that, that solves for all of these things, I think that's the route that the industry is going to start to go in. Um, it's the only way to really merge all those clouds together. Yeah, and it also sounds like some type of uh, intelligence uh, around maybe AI and ML will definitely have to be mixed in there in some shape or form or fashion, I guess from my perspective. But just to go back to, to my old school roots here, Joe, and 
also since I'm an avid reader. And I'm not sure if you remember that book. It's called uh, The World is Flat. It's by yeah. Thomas Friedman, I think from 2005, mm-hmm. 2006. And yeah, he, he, he was talking about kind of like globalization and what's going on, what's going to change the core of the economic structure of how businesses uh, are going to accelerate due to the widespread use of the internet. And basically converge all things physical into virtual global supply chains. Now, I I knew he was onto something, and we're actually living in the days where all of this is playing out. Uh, COVID-19 has definitely changed the landscape, and just look at Zoom and the phenomenal quarter they've had, right? Just as a result of of everyone having to rely on getting on a, a virtual session and working from home and going to school from home, etc. So this brings me to my next question about the rise of software as a service and why SaaS is a great first move for organizations going to the cloud. What, what's your thoughts there? Yeah, well, the Zoom example is actually a really nice one, right? Because, um, you know, historically people mm-hmm. would run their own instances of, of some sort of uh, you know, telecommunications internally, and and they would host it, right? And and so that's a perfect example of of walking into a, a ready built architecture um, that you can just sign up and use. And I think when when people look at the move to public cloud, there becomes a lot of considerations around, you know, the the idea of just lifting and shifting into the cloud has has proven itself out to be in many cases not the right move. And public cloud requires some rethinking. And so what's, what SaaS actually provides is, is a way that you can take an application ecosystem and immediately move it into a cloud-based structure and it comes fully optimized. So you don't have to spend resources and time thinking about and trying to manage new ways of doing things. Um, it's really much more results oriented. And, and, and the value that you get out of SaaS is that you can simply sign up and use, right? You think and you do, you don't have to spend time trying to figure out how you need to refactor an application in order to, to solve the challenges of, of the economies of cost um, and scale and, and resource utilization and all of that. Um, and you can re- focus more on just the results that you get out of it. And, and in that sense, right, so if you think about what customers are typically doing, you know, I, I think infrastructure can be defined in two ways, right? There's elements of the infrastructure that are very uh, core to competitive advantage for any sort of customer in the industry that they're in. And that's that, you know, you want to tune those and, 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 and create some sort of separation from what everybody else is doing, because that gives you an advantage. And so that's very focused on on your own, the mind share that you can bring there to build something that's different and cool. But if it's not providing competitive advantage specifically in your market, you really just want the application to work and function. And you don't want to have to spend a lot of time on it because that's just pulling you away from what's really valuable to you. And so SaaS becomes that great first piece uh, where you can shift a fairly large percentage of, of your infrastructure into these well-known, well-formed, ready-to-use architectures that are already built for you. And, and you know, the, the, the funny thing I say is, like, you know, when you, when you sign up for a SaaS application, it's as if you've hired, you know, 150, 200 engineers 
to monitor and ensure the successful outcome of that application for you. Because, you know, you have a whole engineering organization who, who are, who's, who's built the application, who are doing the optimization work, who are doing the troubleshooting and patching for you. And they're really just focused on your experience being the, I need this from the application. And now I got this from the application, right? So it becomes, again, it's, it's all about the results without the work. And, and so I think it introduces a lot of good options for the customers who want to get out of the data center who want to minimize the footprint that they manage to be able to shift things off very easily. And then it, it also gets the end users more focused on, you know, uh, a new way of doing things, right? And, and, and kind of softens the idea of what cloud is uh, for customers. And then they can spend time thinking more about the applications that give them competitive advantage and how they want to move that into the cloud when they do their refactoring and, and all that work that goes into that. Because if you do it for every application, that journey becomes so long and arduous that it tends to, uh, you know, cause a lot of customers to rethink the strategy. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of customers go out very quickly and then pull back again. Um, due to cost and inefficiency and just they realize that they really have to think their way through it. And then so SaaS comes in and says, look, we've already built something that is, is, is cost controlled um, and, and, and works, uh, right? And you, you just need to get what you need to get and we'll provide that for you. And so we, we see that across the board on all those fundamental applications that are core to running your business but aren't necessarily, you know, a, a distinct application that is uh, that is special to that specific customer. So what what about let's let's take that that 100 150 engineers, right? And of course they're let's say they're not in one location, so they are geographically dispersed. That's that's working on your behalf, uh, I guess from a virtual perspective and being being cloudy or being in the cloud. So your data is is literally everywhere across the world, spread across all of the servers across the cloud. So, what what are some of the challenges when it comes to protecting, let's say, databases in the cloud? Because databases are are huge, and you know you have new kids on the block now. Maybe they're not so new new anymore, like MongoDB and some of the, some of the others, Cassandra, et cetera. What what are, what are the challenges around protecting those in the cloud? I think the biggest challenges come around. Compliance, to be honest, um, I, you know, when you think about databases are going to hold the core data that's valuable to the customer. I mean, that's that's the crown jewels right there. And so, oftentimes, you have there's a, there's a lot more focus around longer term retention based on regulations um, and needs, but you know, also the the idea of of you want to be able to track these for for longer periods of time. And and if you look at sort of the native cloud structures that are built in today around protecting, you know, ways that you could use public cloud today to, you know, and their native resources to protect that data. It becomes challenging because I think at the, at the core of data protection, you want to create this air gap uh, between the backup data and the production data, right? You need that gold secure copy that is uh, not accessible, cannot be manipulated, or altered in any way. And so to do that natively in the cloud, you have to create these separate, what we refer to as arenas, 
So you're copying database data from your production environment, that logical domain, into another logical domain. Um, so you get that separation. And the way that, you know, if you think about it from a long-term retention perspective, that the cloud doesn't do a great job of doing incremental copies of databases. You can't necessarily do that full incremental, incremental. Every time you make a copy of a database into another arena in the cloud to get that protection, you're copying the full thing every time. And so there's, there's time elements, but mostly there's just cost elements. It becomes really prohibitive to actually do that. And so I think, you know, Ultimately, the, the, the biggest challenge is finding a way that provides the right level of protection for the right amount of time without having it be so costly that it's, it's, it's not a valid solution. And I think that's one of the biggest struggles that people are finding. And that's why you find all this compromise, because, you know, you think about the ways that you could actually create it, script it, right? And, and again, you're now creating a ton of work for your engineers to you know, come up with ways to do this. And now you're managing managing that process at scale across all these different locations globally. That becomes actually even more of a nightmare and less reliable and less consistent than if you had a, an application or something that was actually designed to do that in the first place. And so I, I think the native tool sets that are in public cloud today don't solve for that at all. Um, in any good way around longer term compliance. And so, you know, the operational recovery piece for databases is, is built into public cloud today, but that only solves for that very short term piece. Um, and so I think, you know, if you, the, the, the more valuable the data and the longer that you need to retain it for, I think that's where the biggest challenges start to present themselves. Okay. Yeah. All, all of that is clear to me. And maybe giving you an opportunity, you being at Clumio, you know, how do you guys do it over there at, at Clumio? And, you know, what, what makes your solution different from others? Like, let's say a Druva, a Rubrik or Cohesity. So one of the things that I think is our core differentiator, I mean, one, we were built from the ground up with the purpose of solving the challenges around cloud data protection um, and, and especially public cloud data protection, which includes you know, the three major cloud providers as well as SaaS applications that are out there um, that customers are consuming. Um, and, and then you also have to solve for you know, the on-prem stuff because this is a very fluid thing that's going on, right? And nobody's you know, generally 100% in one area or the other. So, um, you know, you really want to be able to approach all the environments in, 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 in the right way. Um, I think that, you know, there's a couple things that we really kind of hang our hats on. I think one is this idea that we want to be the most secure backup and recovery application on the market today. Um, and so we built in from day one, uh, not only organizationally, all the security elements on our side, because you want people to trust us with the data first and foremost. Um, but we, we basically designed the whole backend infrastructure to utilize all the various components that cloud brings. Um, I think based on my understanding, and I'm no expert on Druva or Cohesity or Rubrik, I, I, I know what I know, but um, I certainly wouldn't claim to be an expert. But what my, what my sense is, is that they've, they've been forced into doing the two approaches that everybody is falling in the same trap with is either just run our infrastructure the same way you did on-prem, 
in an infrastructure as a service model. And, and so, you know, they will sort of license the, the, the software, but then the customer has all these hardware costs that get consumed alongside of it, which can sometimes be more expensive or, or, you know, a large percentage of the overall bill associated with it. And so, and, and I think they've realized that that's not the best approach either. And so in, in order to shift quickly, um, they, they all kind of hung their hats on a, on a snapshot orchestrator. And, and so, you know, Amazon has their, their native AWS backup, which is, you know, as an example, is a snapshot. And so they layer on top and, and, and license software to help orchestrate and make that easier to manage. Um, from our perspective, we don't feel like snapshots are backup, and we'll argue that all day. Um, but we do realize that there's value in snapshot orchestration. And so we actually offer that for free as part of the service. Um, you can sign up and use Clumio and have our snapshot orchestrators for IaaS and PaaS and not have to pay anything for it. We're just helping out. And then when it comes to the actual backup and recovery, um, you know, then you can license Clumio and, and we provide that secure air-gapped copy of the data um, and an operational infrastructure that allows you to recover no matter what, right? So if you lose your production environment, you, you have this separated infrastructure that is allows you to, to access the data and put it back to another place that you can use it. So that's that's sort of one fundamental differentiation. But I think at the end of the day, we, we, we've solved the challenge of scale. Um, I think SaaS is becoming uh, a, a very cool buzzword for all of these companies. And so you'll hear everybody talk about it. But we talk about it in a way that we tend to refer to as authentic SaaS, because really there should be no management. You should not have to patch. You shouldn't have to tune. You shouldn't have to do anything. Um, the service should just run itself. And I think that's what true SaaS is. And we focus a lot more on being stateless rather than stateful in the architecture. So you're not deploying software in a sense that you are consuming resources 24 seven, you're managing those resources. Those are all the things that you wanna get away from when you go to public cloud. That's, that's the value of public cloud for you. And so without us having a lot of legacy engineering work around an on-prem architecture that doesn't port to cloud, we were able to really look at it in a fresh way and build the whole design. I mean, we spent three years building out the backend appropriately before we launched into market. And, and so now what we've done essentially is created the right backend. And our, our goal is really just to go out and, and increase our front end coverage model, right? So that we can cover more data sources and bring them all back into this very functional backend. And I think that's the thing, right? Um, you know, so with Cohesity and Rubric, they're, they're, the snapshot orchestration piece, I think Cohesity is still working on that a little bit, right? But their, their, first, their first move was still, you know, just run us like you did on-prem um, Druva has a different storyline and a different messaging, and they tend to talk much more around SaaS as well. But again, I, from what I understand about their architecture, you know, it's front-ended by these fixed resources, like EC2 instances. So the data path for them has some limitations around scale, um, where we have no fixed resources in our data path. So there is nothing that sits in between the host machine and the end storage. And we get massive parallelization around our, ends, our backend storage 
uh, with S3. And so a customer, you know, we're allowing literally a customer who backs up 50 machines today to turn around tomorrow and say, I want to back up a thousand now and they can just do it um, without any thought. And the service will adapt and scale to meet the needs and demands of the customer. And I think that's true SaaS right there where you, again, it becomes very results oriented. You don't want to have to try to plan and build and change as you change your needs, you want to just be able to keep consuming. And so that fundamental approach on our side is, is really that differentiator. And it's going to start to prove itself out more and more, I think, as people start to learn about, you know, sort of the shortcomings of the other offerings. And I think you're seeing those vendors, you know, they're, they're putting those out there today, but I don't think that, that that's their end state architecture. Um, what I'm seeing right now is that everybody is, racing to try to build the correct architecture. And, and I think fortunately for us, I, we're in a position where we can really set that narrative and kind of set the bar around what the right way to do it is. And now everyone's going to start playing catch up um, to try to recreate the, the style that we've built. Um, and so we have, we have some time advantage there, but I think ultimately it's, it's, it's presenting the ease of use uh, backup has gotten easier over the last decade or two decades for sure. Um, but the one thing that hasn't changed is that you're still dealing with these fixed resources around CPU memory and storage, which always are, are kind of the heart of all the problems to begin with. When you think about the challenges of what backup and recovery create. And so if you can get away from that model and build something that's a lot more stateless, requires no care and feeding, but you get the same results, if not better. I think that's where we really come in and say our story's different. Wow. Seems, seems like you really have a, a, a powerful um, bulletproof statement there that, that, that you're making. And um, you, you, you said that you, you didn't think about that a lot, but I, I think you put some thought into the differences there. So I, I really appreciate you, you, you breaking that down and explaining, you know, your approach and authentic SaaS and, you know, being the most secure, which definitely cybersecurity right now is, um, is one of the number one things uh, due to ransomware and all other types of cyber threats that are out there, Joe. So rolling into the closing gumbo question all right you ready to have a little fun sure <laughs> sure all right let's do it so what would you tell your 16 year old self if you had an opportunity to travel back in time to secretly change your destiny <laughs> wow uh yeah i would say uh very specifically like, attack the gray matter Right. Go after all the things that you, you weren't certain of and, and, and really dive into them. It's OK. You know, I think I think we tend to try to follow a path uh, mm -hmm. that is more well known to us. Um, but honestly, I think it's uh, the more you start exploring the edges and, and, and the things that are less well known, you, you open up so many more possibilities. Um, and. You know, and so it's really about like just going after the things, you know, it's it, it expanding the world of possibilities for you by just going going after the things that don't always make sense. Yeah. Um, and then you see where you end up on the other side. Right. Stop pre-planning everything and just get after it. Mm. <laughs> OK, 
<laughs> attack the gray matter. And I, I, I like that statement. What's the gray matter? The gray matter is all those things you're like, oh, no way. I could never do that. I could never do that. You know, like. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So, so, so gray matter is kind of that, that, that devil on the left side of your shoulder telling you that you, you, you can't do it or you don't have enough time or you don't have enough money. Yeah. There's not a whole lot of sense of security in this endeavor. So maybe you should try something different that you feel a little more comfortable with. I would just go after all those things that you don't feel gotcha. comfortable with more and more. So, all right. That is definitely great advice. And Joe, is there a way that you would like Gumbo listeners to reach out to you on social media, maybe on LinkedIn or Twitter? Yes. Uh, on LinkedIn, Joe Ferguson, Clumio. That's, that's a great way. I've never been much of a, of a tweeter honestly. So I stay out of social media as much as possible, except when dictated by work. Thank you for coming on the show. And uh, you have a, a fantastic week. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's always a pleasure talking to you, Demetrius. And uh, we really appreciate the opportunity to hop on and have a discussion. Thank you for listening to Data Protection Gumbo. Please follow us on Twitter at DPG Podcast and join our Backup and Recovery Professionals LinkedIn group. Just search Backup and Recovery Professionals on LinkedIn and you will find the group. And until next time, Gumbo listeners, have a fantastic week.